0: And thank you, Lord, for your word today. We thank you that you give us clarity to hear it, to preach it, your anointing today, to hear all that you have for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Before Ruth comes in the scene, Israel goes through a time of the judges where everything is really dark and gloomy in the sense that Israel's disobedience brings such judgment on the people that it is incomprehensible. Remember now that God calls Abraham and he says, I want to make you a blessing unto unto all nations. And then after Abraham, Abraham has a grandchild named Jacob who has 12 sons. Joseph sold into slavery, right? But God uses Joseph, even though he was sold into slavery, he uses that situation to be a blessing to Israel, to save Israel from extinction, really. And after 400 years after Joseph's death, uh, or after some, after Joseph's death and the and the and, and his brothers died and all of his people died, the Egyptians forgot about Joseph's kindness, and it leads the Egyptians to enslave the Israelites for 400 years. After those 400 years, God raises up Moses, and Moses now delivers the people. God uses Moses to deliver the people out of the Egyptian out of Egypt into the promised land. Before they get into the promised land, they go through the time of the wilderness. And it's a, it's a time of testing. And even though they could have gotten to the promised land fairly quickly because of their unbelief, according to Hebrews chapter 3, the Bible says because of their unbelief, that generation who saw the parting of the Red Sea and the miraculous power of God in Egypt, that generation could not enter into the promised land. But their children did. And God used Joseph to lead the children into the promised land. And it was a time of great victory because Joseph was a man of no compromise. So as long as Joseph and his leaders lived, excuse me, Joshua, as long as Joshua and his leaders lived, not Joseph, as long as Joshua and his leaders lived, there was no compromise. There were people who were really committed to God until about the very end. See, at the very end there of of Joshua's life, we talked about this last week, Israel began to make compromises with the Word of God, with what God desired for them to do. And so we talked about what it would take if we're going to have we're going to be a people with a heart after the Lord. And there were six deadly decisions, six deadly decisions that the Israelites made that you and I could not make if we're going to live, live after the heart of God. Number one, no partial obedience. Israel partially obeyed and their partial obedience brought the judgment of God. They didn't do what God called them to do, and it brought captivity into their lives. Secondly, that partial obedience led to unequally yoked relationships. That means making partnerships, right, with with people who are not lined up to the will of God. And, And that progressed towards what? Israel not imparting the word of God. When somebody is partially obeying, It leads them to build business relationships and all kinds of different relationships with people that don't line up according to the values that we're supposed to have. And then when that happens, the last thing we want to do is talk about the Word of God because the Word of God convicts us. Anybody with me? When I'm partially obedient, I don't want to preach the Word because it's convicting. So then they didn't impart the Word of God to the next generation. That generation didn't know the miracles nor the Word of God the Bible says, and that led to the next thing, Israel worshiped false gods, right? When you're not talking about the Word of God and you're partially obeying and you're living in unequally yoked relationships, it leads to a place where we put other things above God. Now, Israel worshiped Baals, Ashtaroth, and Molech, and we say, well, it's crazy to worship other gods, figurines or whatever, but these gods basically represent power, sex, and money and convenience, do you think people live for power, sex, and money, convenience today? Absolutely. Israel, it, it, uh, another decision that Israel made was that they experienced the deliverance of God, but they never allowed the deliverance of God to lead them to transformation. They had the good enough syndrome. I'm saved. That's good enough. I'm saved. That's good enough. Well, I'm coming to church. That's good enough. And there were unchecked areas in their lives that they never gave to God. And then the last decision, and that's the last verse in the book of Judges, is that they did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And that was the condition of Israel. And so their judges kind of were people that God would raise up to deliver them, but Israel never transformed. They just experienced deliverance after deliverance, and they kept going down and down and down and down because they weren't submitted to the Lord. In the midst of this incredible history of all this occurring, These are the six, by the way, those are the decisions we're not going to make. Amen? We're not making those decisions. So in the midst of all that occurring, there is a glimmer of hope. And it's through a stranger by the name of Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. And the Moabites were actually enemies of Israel. Actually, the Moabites, I believe, they, at least for almost two decades, um, the Moabites oppressed Israel. But what had occurred was that Elimelech, who was a man from Bethlehem, noticed the famine that was occurring in the land of Israel. And he said, you know, I'm leaving this place to a better place. And instead of staying in Bethlehem, he went back the track of the desert, in a sense, and he was going back to the land of the Moabites. Now, this is very important because Bethlehem means the land of bread. And it's supposed to be significant because, again, this is a place that represents God's provision. But the land was going through a famine. And the reason why they were, going, they were experiencing a famine was because of their disobedience. God says to them, the land that I'm taking you to is a land not like the land of Egypt. If that land will be fruitful, it is because I send the rain in its time so that you can bear so that it would bear fruit. Therefore obey me, God said to Israel, so that you would have the rain that you need, so that this land will produce its fruit. And obviously throughout the seasons of disobedience over and over again, Bethlehem, the place that's supposed to be of God's fruitfulness, of bread, of, of provision, is now a place of famine. Elimelech leaves. And he leaves with his wife, he has two sons, and a tragedy happens in their lives. Elimelech dies, his two sons die, and now there are three widows dealing with the shame of being widows without children, which was one of the lowest conditions to be in culturally at that time. Now I want to pause here and let you know something about this. Let us think about it this way. Oftentimes when we come to God, he begins to work things out of our lives. And as he works things out of our lives through his discipline and through his love, it doesn't feel good. Right? Discipline doesn't feel good. Oftentimes it deals with issues related to our character. Every time it's dealing with issues related to our trust in him. Right? And as that occurs... It's going to be real easy for us to think, you know what, forget (laughs) Bethlehem, I'm going to another land. In other words, you know what, forget serving the Lord, it was much easier living a life not serving the Lord. It's much easier walking away from this. I don't know how many times somebody's been baptized and they said, Pastor, I got baptized, but then all hell broke loose. I was like, I ain't doing this. You know, pastor, I gave my life to Christ and everything just, I mean, my friend cussed me out. My mama don't want anything to do with the dog next door bit me. That thing was possessed. It bit me for no reason. All all hell is broken loose in my life. You know, when we come to the Lord, amen, when we come to the Lord, God is working in us, dealing with us. And there's also a demonic presence that's trying to keep us from serving the Lord. We got to be aware that we're in the midst of spirit of spiritual warfare. Elimelech decided to walk away from Bethlehem to look for a better life. And what he found instead was losing his life and Naomi and uh, lost her hope in her future. She not only not have a husband, but now she doesn't have sons. She has no one to care for her. Then there are these two widows that are next to Naomi. uh, And they obviously love Naomi dearly, because these daughter-in-laws are taking care of her. They love her. They weep with her. And Naomi says to them, look, girls, well, I just want to bless you. You can go ahead and make your own life. You can, you can go in another direction. You have nothing sticking around with me. And they wept and they said, oh, no, there's no way we're going to leave you, Naomi. We're not going to do that. And then Naomi broke down the truth to them. He says, let, let me explain something to you. What are you going to gain from staying with me? If you stay with me, am I going to have other sons for you to be married to? No. I, I, I'm, too, you know, I'm not at a place where I'm going to get married. And if I were to get married again, am I going to have a son immediately? And if I do have a son immediately, are you going to wait for them to become men so that they can deliver you or so that they can be your husbands? There's no point in you waiting. There's no point in you staying here. You see, culturally at that time, when someone was a widow, especially in Israel, when somebody was a widow, there was supposed to be someone in the family, someone else in the family was supposed to marry them, to redeem them, to make sure that the the, li- the, the lifeline of the son who had passed away, so that their heritage and their name would be carried on from generation to generation. But Naomi had nobody to give Ruth, and Oprah, no, I'm just kidding, Orpa, Orpa, just <laughs> Oprah easier here to say, she had nobody. So she said, you know what, girls, go go make your own life. And, and Orpha kissed her and, and wept and she went away. But Ruth, the Bible says, she clung to her. She clung to her. And Naomi said, why don't you do like your other sister-in-law? And Ruth said to her, do not ask me, do not urge me to leave you. Do not urge me to leave you. And this is the scripture that I want to read to you as we see Israel again transition from lawlessness to faithfulness. I want you to look at the faithfulness of this woman of God named Ruth, who was a stranger. So the scripture in verse, uh, Ruth chapter one, verse 14, verse 15 on down. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So here is Ruth, and she's making this incredible declaration of faith. She says, do not tell me to leave you. I'm going to stick next to you, even though I don't know what the future may hold for me. But this is the commitment that I'm making. I'm going where you're going. I'm staying where you're staying. Your people, they're going to become my people, and your God will be my God. And then she gives us a, a key word here. She says, may the Lord deal with me severely. If I do anything other than what I just declared. And what Ruth is basically saying is, Naomi, you're not responsible for me. This is a covenant now that I'm making before with you before God. Now, we know that Ruth was a Moabite, which means that those people had another God. They had other customs. They lived according to their way. But obviously, to the relationship that Ruth had with Naomi and her family, she became aware of the reality of God. Even though Naomi and Elimelech and all those people had left what God had intended for them, the witness of the true God of Israel spoke to Ruth in such volumes that she said, I'd rather be a widow without a hope and serve the God of Israel than serve any other God. That's incredible, right? And so she goes with Naomi. And Naomi, by the way, I want you to, when you read that portion of Scripture, Naomi clearly says, you know what, I'm dealing with this because this is the judgment of God. She's not complaining about it. She's not saying, you know, can you believe God's doing this to me? But rather she's admitting that the consequences that I'm going through right now, it's because of of God's judgment, right? And this is very important because Naomi had a choice at this point as she suffered to run away from God, but instead she made a decision to go back to Bethlehem. Go back to God. And I want to tell you something. There are times in life where we go through some difficult times. Sometimes it may be the judgment of God. Sometimes it's just we, don't ha- we have no idea what's going on. Sometimes it's just hard times that we all go through. And we're all going to be faced with a fork on the road over and over again. And that's, and that's a decision that we have to make. Either we're going to let our hard times and our suffering push us away from God or draw us closer to him. And that's a decision that we all have to make. Will I let my suffering, my grieving, the things that I understand and the things that I don't understand, lead me closer to God, or will I allow them to push me further away from Him? Naomi made a decision to seek after God, to go back to Bethlehem, where God's blessing was. And Ruth went with her. And as she went with her, that declaration that Ruth made was so different than what the people during the time of the judges made. Judges chapter 21, last verse, says the people did whatever they saw was right in their own eyes. Ruth gave up what was convenient and what was logical to follow after faith. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, 6 through 7, give us a picture of what Ruth did. Now listen to this, listen to these verses. It says this trust in the Lord, if we go to that slide, Proverbs chapter 3. Something's frozen over there, so we're just going to read this. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 on down. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now here is Ruth. Somebody said you made a wise decision. You, you would have made a wise decision to go back to your people. But instead, she chose, no, I'm not going to go back to my people. I'm going to go in faith. I'm not going to make a decision according to what I see. I'm going to trust God. Nate, would you come up here and help me? Nate is totally ready. He got his tuxedo shirt on. <laughs> Praise God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means... Come to God and say, open up my heart. If you see anything in there that you need to rearrange, you have permission without me having to say anything. I signed consent or release. You don't even have to ask me anymore. Just take take over. Whew. Easier said than done. Amen. Would you stand behind me? Lean not on your own understanding. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean and I need you to hold me up. Okay. I ain't playing. <laughs> lean not on your own understanding it literally means let go of what you know to follow after god so much so that if he doesn't catch you your end would be a reckless end so literally it is how many y'all know that if Nate were to walk away I'm in deep trouble (laughs) brother that's not right sometimes the walk of faith feels like that right we're gonna deal with you later right (laughs) right thank you brother I appreciate you Joker. He's going to let When you lean, you're totally depending on the strength of the person you're leaning on. When you come to Christ, what Jesus says is put all your eggs in this one basket. What he's saying, lean totally on me. And it is a reckless decision according to the world. You know, people are going to look at you and say, Are you, are you crazy? You're going to go all out for God like that? Don't you see all these things you're you're missing out on? Because God says, follow me. And he doesn't tell you really what's in your future. You know, he doesn't tell you, you know, if he just tells you that he has your future in his hands. He doesn't give you play by play. And to tell you the truth, sometimes if he would, if he would give us play by play, some of us would run away. Right. But then when we get to the end of what he has for us. It couldn't what God has for us. The world cannot compare to what God has for us. People, you need to hear that today. Ruth made this decision. She made the decision to lean on God. I'm throwing away my future. I'm throwing away my hope because I want a real God and he's the God of Israel. And it's interesting. She says, may the Lord deal severely with me. In other words, she knew God. She didn't say just your God. May your God deal with me severely. May the Lord, which means she submitted to the Lordship of God in her life. Because Ruth did this, because Ruth trusted the Lord this way, instead of how Israel acted during the time of Judges, here is a woman who's not leaning on her own understanding and in her own ways, but instead she's trusting the Lord. Because she did this, God blessed her in so many ways. And... And and I want to encourage you today, and we'll close with these three points. If you make a decision, if you're going to make a decision, make this decision to entrust your life and your future to God. That's the one decision we need to make. If we would just entrust our life and our hearts and our future to God, just trust him. It's going to hurt. And it's going to look like missed opportunities. But trust me, those opportunities will soon become curses if you take them. Are you with me? Those opportunities will soon become snares and captivity and pain and suffering. If you take them, trust the Lord, trust the Lord with your relationships You jump out of a relationship, you awaken awaken love before it's time, you're going to end up with problems. You go into a business venture without the direction of the Lord, you're going to end up with some serious debt. Serious problems. Ruth, because she decided to entrust her life and her future and her hope to the Lord. This is what God did for her. Number one, the Lord blessed her and showed her his favor. Ruth 2, 10 on down. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth and Naomi are now in Bethlehem, and they're basically, you know, they have nothing. The only thing they have is that Israel has a command of God. And that command requires that people with fields would not take all the produce of the field so that those who are poor, who have nothing, who are destitute, can come in and work and out of their work be able to get some food so that they can eat. That's the best welfare system in the planet, right? God already instituted a way for Israel to be mindful of those who didn't have. And so while she is, while they're in Bethlehem, Ruth says to Naomi, let me go work the fields, so that we can eat. And she ends up, at Boaz's field. By the way, Boaz is being uh, a family member, really, of of Naomi, and he was what we know as a kinsman redeemer, which means that he is a chief of that clan, and he is responsible to make make sure that that clan is doing well. He's responsible for the welfare of the entire clan. Consequently, by the grace and sovereignty of God, Ruth ends up in the field of Boaz, and she's working with the workers there. And Boaz, you know, notices this young woman he's never seen before, and he says, who is this? And Boaz's workers say, that's that's Ruth. You know the Moabite that came with Naomi? She's been working all day long, and she's only rested a little bit. And and Boaz heard of, of, of Ruth's faithfulness and he says to her, You know what? I want you to stay in this field. Don't go anywhere else. We I don't want you to be in trouble or something to happen to you. You know, nobody here will touch you or cause you harm. I've instructed I've instructed my workers to make sure to care for you, basically. And and, and Ruth cries out and says, Why have I Why have you been given? Why have you given me favor? And Boaz says, because you because you are under the refuge of God's wing. That incredible. Boaz says, because I've heard of your testimony, I've heard of what you've done. May God bless you now that you're under the favor, under the refuge of God's wing. Let me tell you something. Sometimes God's going to call you to some hard places but it's better being in a hard place under the refuge of God's wing than being in the prosperity of the world without God's covering. There are a bunch of people who are very prosperous and have no peace. There are very, a bunch of people who are very prosperous and they their life they're overwhelmed with darkness. It's better having nothing and being under the covering of God. Right? Boaz recognized her. God recognized Ruth. And God blessed Ruth. She was blessed by the favor and the care of God. Listen, when you entrust your life to the Lord, he will care for you. He will care for you. He will bless you, and he will shower you with his favor. But it didn't end there. Ruth was not just cared for as a servant. But Ruth, she became more than a servant. She was redeemed. She was redeemed. Now let's talk about kinsman redeemer and what that means. The Bible teaches us about the role of a kinsman redeemer. And again, this is like a chief of the clan. And that that chief will be responsible for the welfare of the entire clan. The kinsman redeemer had a responsibility. Number one, the kinsman redeemer had a responsibility to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. So if there was a family member who sold himself in slavery because of the situation that he was in, that kinsman redeemer was responsible to make sure to buy back that slave. And again, remember, even in God's system, slavery was more like uh, was more employment or servanthood, and that was only for a certain time after seven years servant was supposed to be released, right? And so the kinsman redeemer was supposed to make sure that there was always redemption for an Israelite brother. A kinsman redeemer was also responsible for justice, making sure that the clan received the justice that they uh, that the God required. Third, a kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited. There were times where the Israelites had to give up their land because of poverty or whatever it may be, sell it. After seven years, everybody was restored the land God gave them because God wanted them to keep their land. So the kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy back the land. And ultimately, the the uh, and the and last thing is the kinsman redeemer was responsible to make sure to carry the name of family members. If, if a widow was left without a husband, the kinsman redeemer was to make sure that that widow was taken care of, right? And that the name... The name of the deceased would be carried on from generation to generation because God wanted the names remembered, and so this was the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer. Naomi then says to Ruth at one point, "says You know what? I should take care of you. I should, I should, you know, this commitment that you've made to me. Shouldn't I find uh, try to try to make you more secure and your your future better?" says This is what I'm going to do. Now. This is what I want you to do, Ruth. So Naomi, the mother-in-law, is now talking to Ruth. says I want you to go to Boaz. And he's at the threshing floor. I know the video said the bedroom, but he was at the threshing floor. (laughs) He was at the threshing floor. And that was, again, where the wheat was kept. And some commentary says that oftentimes people would sleep where their produce was uh, in order to protect it from thieves and the such. And so as he was sleeping at the threshing floor, Ruth, what Naomi instructed Ruth to do is says, I want you to get cleaned up, right? I want you to dress nice, and I want you, once Boaz is done working and he's asleep, I want you to go lay at his feet. I want you to uncover his feet, and I want you to just lay at his feet. And you saw what happened. I would also be startled if I woke up at midnight and there was somebody sleeping by my feet. But what does that represent? What does that mean? That means being totally subjected to the leadership of someone. The uncovering of Boaz's feet. And, I, and, and Ruth laying at Boaz's feet, she's actually saying, I surrender to your leadership. I surrender to your lordship. I am I am your servant. It's what she's declaring. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. If you tell me to go to the left, I'll go to the left. You tell me to go to the right, I'll go to the right. I am your servant. But she also made a request, a very bold request, didn't she? Not only am I a servant, but when Boaz woke up, she said, will you redeem me? Will you redeem me? And that is like proposing to the men. It's basically saying, would you take me, you being righteous, knowing what the law of God recommends, and will you take me as a wife, that the name of my deceased husband will be carried on from generation to generation. Would you, would you redeem me? I am your servant. But can we take this to another place? Can I be your bride? Would you redeem me? That's powerful, isn't it? And Boaz is moved by compassion. And he said, blessed be you, Ruth, because you could have gone and found anybody to, to marry you. But instead, you're coming to me. And of course, I would do this for you because your testimony is so great among the land. You're such a righteous woman. But And then, and then he tells her more about another kinsman redeemer that's closer uh, to her than him. But I want you to listen to this. Listen to the testimony Ruth has built in the dark places she's waiting for God's redemption. What's that testimony? A woman who works hard, a woman who's faithful, and a woman who's not complaining. That's powerful. That's powerful. Now I'm talking to all of us, men and women. <laughs> <Not, laughs> i not digging myself in a hole here. I'm just saying Ruth was a woman, I'm just. But this is an example for all of us. <laughs> And what is that example when we're in a hard place, man of God, woman of God? Are people seeing our work ethic for the Lord? Are people seeing that we live righteously? Are people seeing that we're not complaining, but we're trusting the Lord? It was a pleasure for Boaz to bless Ruth. Does your work ethic. Okay, you ready? Does your work ethic make it a pleasure for your employer to bless you? Does your work ethic make it a a pleasure for those you work with to work with? It's so important, right? And so Boaz, make a long story short, you can get into the details of that in the book, Boaz redeems Ruth. And now she's more than just a servant. She's a wife, Right? And now everything that belongs to Boaz belongs to her. Isn't that incredible? And that there's there's such a humility about Ruth, such a grace about her, and such a uh, faithful, uh, obedient uh, man of God in Boaz. And Now you have this incredible marriage. Now here's Ruth, who gave up her hope and her future to be a servant, finds favor as a servant, and finds herself being more than a servant, now a wife with a hope and a future. ain't that incredible? Let me tell you something about serving God. When you entrust your life to the Lord, you will not only be blessed, you will not only be favored, but God will bring you into close proximity to him. That's why the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. Are you with me? Why are we, the, why are we called the bride of Christ? Because God wants us to understand that we're in close proximity to him. We are the people of the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God lives in us. Now, I want you to think about that just as Boaz's resources were available to Ruth, so are the resources of heaven, of the kingdom of God, available to us. All of his goodness, all of his peace, all of his joy, the righteousness, all of his provision of healing, they're available to us. Ruth no longer had to go work with the servants. Because she wasn't a servant anymore. She was provided for. Isn't that incredible? That's good news. Let me ask you something. Are you living your life as a Christian knowing that you've been provided for? Are you living your life as a Christian understanding your identity in Christ? You're a son and a daughter of the living God. What is part of the problem of the witness of the church today? We don't know who we are, we don't know our identity. Because we don't know our identity, we don't know what to ask. We don't know how, how to ask. We don't know that we can ask. Ruth did. Ruth was a servant that found favor, and she asked for deep, intimate things. And let me tell you, if you make a commitment to serve the Lord, you'll find favor with the Lord, and whatever you ask, you'll receive. What When you knock, you'll answer. When you seek, you'll find. God's desire is not that you can live in the shallow land of His favor and His blessing, God wants to bring you into a place of intimacy. As a song that we sang today for worship, Lord, uh, we bless you not for what you do, but for who you are. But the fact is a lot of us are comfortable with what God does. And we could care less about who God is. Some of us may even come to church and we just want God's blessing. If you can just tell me what to do, can you just tell me good enough? What's good enough? What do I have to do? What's sufficient so, so that I can have God's blessing? Now, I got to tell you, don't you know God has more in store for you? He's got so much more for you. When we entrust our lives to God, when we say, God, I give you my finances, God, I give you my relationships, God, I give you my heart, I give you my businesses, I give you everything that is in my heart. I give it all to my entertainment. When we entrust ourselves to God, he blesses us, he favors us, he brings us into close proximity to him, right? We bear his name. And the last thing, we become a part of something bigger than ourselves we become a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Ruth became the mother of Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse Jesse became the father of King David. A Moabite woman who's not even an Israelite because she obeyed and put her faith in God. Now she is the mother of the king in the Bible, the only king, the Bible says, a man after my own heart. David, the lineage of Jesus. So not only is she a a great-grandma of a king, but she's the great-grandma of the king, a Moabite woman who had no place in Israel. When you make a decision to be reckless for Jesus, listen to me. When you make a decision to surrender everything to Jesus, no questions, God does more than you can think of or imagine with your life. Say yes to Jesus. I dare you. Say yes to obeying him. Say yes. We've already paid the price enough of leaving Bethlehem, right? Haven't we paid the price of of saying, you know what, I'm going to do things my own way? And everything we've done in our own way has come to death. Death, death, death. Say yes to Jesus, trust him him with your future, and he will do more than you can think of or imagine with your life. Would you stand with me today? Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's this very, very difficult verse in the Bible. It's one of those super hard sayings of Jesus. And he says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will bear no fruit. Right. So the kernel of wheat has to die so it can bear fruit. And so we're like, yeah, well, praise God. Praise God for seeds. I love seeds. Seeds are good. I just don't want to be a seed. I like the fruit of seeds. And you can even make me fruitful as a tree, but Lord knows I never want to be a seed because I don't ever want to die. Can I be honest with you? Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. And what we're saying when we give our lives to Jesus is says, Jesus, we give you our life. We give you every part of our life. And I'm willing for you to take and do, uh, for you to take and do whatever you want with my life. And I'll tell you my experience, that is dying. And I want you to know, it doesn't feel good at all. It's a process of coming to the end of myself. Jesus looks at us and he says, I want you to come to the end of yourself to the end of your ability to provide for yourself, to the end of your ability to do for yourself, to the end of your ability of planning for yourself so that you can totally, recklessly trust in me. Because when you do that, then I can give you true life, new life. And it's incredible. But I can't do that with you, not dead to the flesh. Right? You got to come alive in me. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. And boy, that hit me like a ton of brick when I realized, Lord, you are calling me to go through the process of your discipline and stop bailing out and go in the opposite direction when times get hard. Even when I don't see the hope and even when I don't see the future and what you're doing, to trust you when I'm trusting you blindly. That is the step of faith. Or will you trust him today? Will you entrust your life, your hope, and your dreams to the Lord? Father, today as we come before you, we thank you for the story of Ruth. We thank you for a woman who was so committed. In the midst where Israel, your people, they gave up on your commands. They gave up on your miracles. Here's a woman who barely hears about who you are, and commits to you fully, and offers a glimmer of hope in a history filled with utter darkness. And through her, you did the unimaginable. What we, what she couldn't have thought of, what she couldn't have imagined. I can't even imagine what Ruth's face must have been like from heaven as she saw what you did with her family line here she was a widow shun really really the worst case scenario in her society and out of that worst case scenario you brought the greatest case scenario the greatest possibility that her great 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 grandson would be jesus christ you not only erased her shame you blessed her with royalty That's incredible. God, you're an awesome God. You do far above what we can think of or imagine. Today, maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what? Um, I've been running away from the Lord. I've been running away from God. Doing things my own way, following my own direction. There are things that I haven't submitted to the Lord. And today... I hear the Word of God. God is dealing with me. I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to give my life to serve the Lord today. I'm done running. Every time I run away from Him, I end up with worse situations. I'm just done running. Pastor, would you pray with me? That's you. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Amen. Amen. Look at your people, God. So many here raising their hands saying, you know what, God, I'm done running. And as they raise their hands, they're saying, I'm not only uh, uh, done running, but I'm also uh, running in the opposite direction. Now I'm going to run toward you. I'm running toward you. So, Lord, right now, as they raise their hands, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is coming into their lives. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is leading them closer to you. I thank you, Lord, God, that their hearts will be, be made soft before you as they decided for you, God, that you would do a miraculous work in their lives. Today, I thank you for those who are given, uh, giving you their lives today. I thank you, God, that you would write their names in the Lamb's Book of Life. I thank you, God, that they would experience the joy of serving you. And I thank you for new beginnings. For your word says that when we give, when we give our lives to you, the old things pass away and that you begin to make all things new. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for this life in Jesus name. Amen. amen. Maybe you're here and you're saying what you're saying, you know what, pastor? There are things I haven't given to God. I say that I trust the Lord, but I haven't entrusted my life. There are things I know that I need to surrender to God. They've become a snare. They've become a point of death in my life. And I just I just want to give it up to God and say, God, I give you that part of my life that I've been holding on to for dear life. You can have it. You can have it. I'm done. I give it to you. But with every, everyone praying, now, saints, I need you to pray. And as you respond to this, I want you to know what's going to happen. I believe that God's going to break strongholds of your life. He's going to break the strongholds off of your life and give you the freedom to walk free and to trust Him with that area. So as you begin to walk up this aisle and come to this altar, I'm trusting that as you take every step, that God is going to begin to do a miraculous work to teach you, to guide you, to lead you into walking free and giving them every room, every part of your heart. So right now, if you're hearing, you're saying there are things I need to, I need to entrust the Lord with my life. There are things in my life I need to give them right now. If that's you. Would you come up to the altar right now? Amen. So I'm not going back in the opposite direction. I'm staying in Bethlehem where God's called me to be. Amen. Praise Amen. God. Praise God. Praise God. Now, instead of having people pray for us today. What we're going to do is right now, those of you who are here, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, just raise your hand before God as a symbol. God, I give it to you. Yes, I give it to you. I give it to you. I want you to just in your mind, verbalize it and give it to God. We give you this relationship. We give you our finances. We give you our our plans. We entrust our whole lives into your hands. We entrust our whole life into your hands. We entrust our whole lives into your hands. Right now, we say, Lord, we don't need to see the future We trust you that you have our future in your hands. Just declare it in your own words. We trust you. We lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways we acknowledge you. And we know that you will direct our path. God, we repent right now. As we give these things to you, we repent of making our own way instead of trusting you to make a way for us to repent in your own words just say that god i repent of making my own way i repent of making my own business i repent of awakening love before it's time i repent god i repent hallelujah i entrust you now with my relationships I entrust you now with my businesses. I entrust you now with my employment. I entrust you now with my hobbies and my entertainment. Yes. Lord, I thank you that this is a victorious role. These are the people you say you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And I thank you, God, that through all of those who are here, God, you're going to do something so great and so marvelous. It's going to be beyond what they can think of or imagine. Lord, I bless them in the name of Jesus, and I thank you, God, that as they do life one day at a time, God, that they're going to see your hand, your favor, your blessing in their lives, and they'll also see you drawing them close, close to you. Bless them, God. Guide them. Strengthen them. Holy Spirit, we call on you. We ask you, God, to fill them, to counsel them, to lead them according to your will. Father, thank you for surrounding them with your word, Father God, that as they work and things get tough, that they would remember, I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. God, I thank you that they would remember that you're in covenant with them. You're in covenant with them. And you're not a covenant-breaking God. You keep your word with your people. I thank you. And I blessed them today. I blessed them today. I can't wait for what we can't think of or even imagine being manifested in all of all of your people's lives lord we thank you and we declare the work that you begin in our lives you will bring to completion in jesus name amen if you're here at the altar and you need you'd like somebody to pray for you remain here at the altar we'll make sure someone will come and pray with you amen altar workers will welcome you to come up and pray god bless you today god bless you today have a good day bless you